winning the war in your mind. Winning the war in your mind. You know, um, the mind is a battlefield. It really is. I know love is a battlefield. All right, shout out to that great 80s music. <laughs> but the mind is a battlefield. About 10 years ago, I began to recognize and realize just how important it is. The uh, Lord used uh, events in my life, but he also would use powerful scriptures that, that perhaps were overlooked. I'd read over uh, probably <laughs> at least dozens, if not hundreds of times. And they would begin to reveal to me how important it is in life what's going on on the inside. And, you know, so when we talk about the heart, when we talk about the soul, listen, I'm not going to get all philosophical. An easy way to understand that in our language and culture is, is our mind. Our mind is, is, in a lot of ways, yes, our, our physical body, but who we are, it's more than what people see. It's what's happening on the inside. And so I began to realize that one of the subtle or not so subtle attacks of the enemy is in the area of our mind. I began to not only see this in other people's lives, primarily I saw this in, in, in my life and in some of the struggles and tensions and difficulties I faced. I'd love to be able to blame them on others, but it was areas in my mind that I was just leaving open for the enemy <laughs> to kind of win the battle. And the Lord began to start taking ground. And uh, we've been sharing, I've been sharing the last couple weeks, we kicked off the series. Last week, I, I, I talked about, if I could say it like this, I talked about the battleground of the inner critic. The inner critic's the one who shows up every time you mess up. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but you probably have a critic in your life. Somebody who critiques you, you know, and, and in some ways, it's, it's good. It can help you get better, but the inner critic is, is partnered with the accuser, the enemy of our soul. And so every time we make a mistake... He magnifies it to global proportions. And he gets us spinning in self-criticism, self-doubt. And eventually, it leaves us discouraged, downcast. I mean, I've, I've, I've dealt with it and still deal with it. I shared on that last week. Well, today I want to talk about a particular battleground. And I hope it helps you today. I really do. It's the battleground of comparison. It's... it's, it's while there's a war in our mind, how many of you know any war has several different, different battles? How many of you know you remember one of the most infamous global wars, World War II? There were battles on, in that time, several different continents, from Africa to Europe to, you know, North America in, in Hawaii. I mean, there were several different Asia, several different continents, little, little battles, and that's how the mind is wired. So last week, inner critic, you may have been like, yes, that's just what I needed to hear. Not that we're that excited. Okay. But this week we hear about co a comparison, and uh, we're probably not like, yeah, that's great. But I'll tell you, one of the things the enemy does in our life is he baits us into the trap of comparison. I'll just get out and say it. There's no win in comparison. There isn't. There's no winning. It may make us feel good for a moment, especially if we're on the, uh, on the condescending side and and, and, and we're the winner, so to speak, at least in our own mind. Well, it can make us feel good for a moment. But in the kingdom of God, we understand there's no win in comparison. And uh, competi competitiveness fuels comparison. 
And I'd love to say, hey, it's only something that hits you when you're an adult or, you know, when you get into your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. No, how about we just get it out there? Comparison is a plague every season of life. <laughs> if we're not careful, the enemy is propagating us into comparison. And so here's where we're going to end today. Here's the, here's the elevator version. Comparison or contentment in Christ. Those are the two options on the table for all of us today. We can either continue making steps to live in the arena and realm of comparison, or we can make steps to live content in Christ. Genesis chapter 4 is where I want to begin. I want to talk about a couple brothers you've probably heard of, a couple young men named Cain and who? Cain and Abel, baby. Cain and Abel. I want to highlight a few things from their life. I want to highlight some things from Jesus' life, and I want to give you a couple tools to move towards contentment in Christ and to silence the voice of comparison. All right, Genesis chapter 4. These verses will come up. You can follow along on the screens as well. But Genesis chapter 4, we're going to read eight verses out the gate. Now Adam and Eve, or excuse me, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn, what we would know as the tithe, of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Infamous verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. I mean, that is a fast-moving story. Right? That is eight verses. We go from <laughs> childbirth to brothers killing each other. I mean, don't you love the Bible? Come on, you've got to give it. It's pretty entertaining, pretty interesting. Well, we see two brothers... One brings an offering, well-intentioned. God did not despise Cain in any way, shape, or form. But what we can bring to the text is an understanding that somewhere in the relationship, somewhere in the dialogue, some guidance was given. And Cain went his own way and in his own strength. And Abel went with the way of the Lord and trusted him by faith. And Cain understood that, but yet he felt the weight of rejection. He felt the weight of distance. 
And here's what's wild. God doesn't draw back. Do you see that? God doesn't draw back. God doesn't run in the other direction. In fact, God draws close, pulls him aside and says, Hey, why are you downcast? It's almost like in that moment you wonder if God knew why. Why why are you downcast? Why are you crestfallen? Why are you so discouraged? He doesn't even wait for a response. He tells Cain, listen, listen. If you do what's what's right, if you obey, if you follow after me, don't you know you'll you'll kind of fall into the well-approved category. Cain can't get it out of his system. Cain has jumped in to competition, to striving for worth, not out of a pure motive, not out of a pure heart, but he's dove dove right into the trap of comparison, and it has eaten him alive. And so what do you do? What does he do in comparison? Well, he goes from some thoughts pretty quickly into murder pretty quickly. Comparison will drive us. Now, my prayer and hope for your life, one of the goals is it doesn't drive you to murder. However, it can kill relationships. It can kill connections with siblings, with family, with relationships in our workplace. Tried to outdo somebody, tried to compete. You can't appreciate their value their personhood, because you're so busy trying to win. That's the danger of comparison. It offers little contentment. You win for a day, you're feeling great till the next game. And then if you lose that, you're feeling low. It's a high-low life. The option Jesus gives us and invites us into is contentment. In him. Listen to a few thoughts as we track through these verses, okay? So I want you to see something about Cain and Abel and see this same truth for your life. Because I believe you were uniquely created by God. Just as Cain, Cain was given the task of what? Farming or harvesting crops, all right? Abel was given the task of what? Raising cattle. Now, the first temptation in an easy reading of the text is you think, well, God likes meat, not produce, to which all of us said, I see it. I, I can go there with you, God. I'm with you. You can take a ribeye over a salad any day, right? There's, there's, there's really no competition, pun intended. But here's the deal. It's not because one was bringing produce, right? There's some guidelines, just some instruction. I don't even fully understand what it was, but it's there. It's the mystery of it. And we know at least a little insight is that Abel's offering required faith. Because if, <laughs> if you're raising cattle, the last one you take is the firstborn. That's not a table. Or that, that's not an option. That's not what you do. You, you, you wait to see how it pans out, and then you sacrifice to God. So Abel, he, he just, by faith, he gives. By faith, he does the sacrifice. So there's a little insight there. But Cain, man, Cain isn't coming into God. How can I live for you? How can I follow you? Listen, God, I know that you've created me uniquely. You've designed me with a personality. I can't blame anybody. You know, Cain's like, listen, hey, God, do you know my family of origin? Like, imagine that. Did, Dealing with issues in your Ancestry.com. Like they get on Ancestry.com and you look up. Oh, 
Cain and Abel, not symbolically, literally, my parents. Oh, my Lord. You know, you, you're going to freak out. Well, Cain, Cain's frustrated. Cain's disappointment. But instead, notice, instead of when God draws near, drawing close to him, what does he do? He competes. He's looking at Abel. And it fuels him. It drives him. And I don't know the distance. I don't know if it was five days or five years. But you know, right, how competition and comparing works. It's the enemy's trigger to get us discontent. If you ever wonder what the enemy's up to in your life, here's a few D's for you. Discord, disappointment, distraction. It's incredible what the enemy can do with discontentment. And Cain is fueled. He's fueled by it. One of the things I know about Cain, despite what we get in Scripture, is that he was created uniquely. I mean, God had given him a purpose, a plan. You know, if you've been through our growth track, that's, we believe that about every single one of you. We believe you're not an accident. We believe you're, 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 you're not just, you know... You were kind of God's last pick of the bunch. So he's like, yeah, you know what? 2020 is going to happen. Yeah, let's send them. No. God knows. He foreknew. You're created on purpose with a purpose. I mean, you're not haphazard. And that was the same for Cain. The same for Abel. But notice what happens. Notice what happens. The sting of rejection gets lodged in Cain's heart. But who does he run to? He's trying to navigate it in his own strength. Who does he run to with that sting of rejection? The very one he should have gone to, God, he runs in the opposite direction. God's like, listen, follow my ways. Listen to my voice. Step into the blessing. Step into faith. Step into trust in me. And Cain's like, no, 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 no. Cain would rather, come on, that's pretty bad. He would rather take out his brother because guess what? What does he say after that? I win. Guess what, God? Nobody else bringing their sacrifice because I killed them all. It's like, whoa. That's what competition does. Our discontentment leads to division among others. We don't want anything to do with them. We can despise them. We can disassociate with them. We try to create as much distance as possible. Aren't you glad, though, some of you, if you're anything like me and you've struggled in this area, this trap of comparison, aren't you glad that, hey, Guess what? It's way back in the first few chapters of the Bible. This ain't nothing new for humanity. It's not the enemies up to new tricks. No, it's the same old tricks. But that sting of rejection, do you know the sting of rejection? Father wounds, I sometimes call them. You know, your father wound has one place of healing. It's the love of God. It's understanding that you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. It's not believing the lies that people have propagated over your soul and over your life. And Cain left that unchecked. God was very much like, listen, man, it's at the door. God invites him into obedience, but Cain rejected that. Cain chose his own way. Here's a verse I want you to see. I know I've referenced distance a lot. But look at Genesis 4, 16. Here's what happens. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. 
I don't think there's anything more dangerous in life. I don't. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. Notice, notice, here, let this sink into your spirit. Those of you that are trying to share Jesus with your friends, let them know this. Hey, Genesis 4, 16. Cain, in our sinful, wrongful state, we leave the presence of God. Genesis 4, all the way through, God draws near. We can't handle it. We run. Notice Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. You can do a little word study. You can do a little study and find the trajectory. After Adam and Eve, as they left Eden, everybody keeps going east. East, 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 east. It's a wink to the Tower of Babel, Babylon. Distance, doing life in our own strength. And if I could be transparent with you, man, comparison, competitiveness. Man, it's when I'm trying to do things, when I'm trying to fill a void, fill a need, make myself a value, and typically, almost always, it's done in my own strength. God invites us, God invites us into living a life that's contentment or content in Jesus. Why comparison doesn't work? Here's one reason. It's never an even playing field. You ever think about that? One of the reasons comparison doesn't work is, man, you are uniquely created by God. Nobody else is your DNA. Thank God. No, I'm kidding, right? Nope. Well, they have your DNA, they, they just don't have your precise, exact DNA. You know, the power of a fingerprint is one of a kind. It's your identity. It's an encouragement to how uniquely Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made. You're one of a kind. Another reason it doesn't work is you have a different capacity than others. You ever thought about that? You ever... You ever found yourself on the hamster wheel, looked to your right and to your left, and just thought, man, why can't I have what they have? Why can't I be who they are? Why can't I do what they do? Why do they get all the sunny days and I get all the rainy days? What happens is we get our eyes off the Lord and we get our eyes onto others. and We get sucked into that comparison trap, and it always has one end. It leaves us discontent. And then also think about you have different and unique limits. I mean, you think about Cain and Abel. They were totally different. One is a tiller of the ground, harvesting crops. The other is raising cattle. I mean, those are two distinct roles, two distinct callings, two distinct purposes. Now, you may be standing here, and I know how you listen to my sermons. You know I have life all figured out, you know I'm perfect. And every sermon is just because I'm totally healthy in here and nothing wrong in any area of my life. Amen to that. Okay. Y'all got real quiet there. <laughs> I would like to say, listen, I don't get competitive, but my daughter's volleyball game yesterday morning would have told you otherwise. I'd like to say, you know, comparison, the trap of comparison. Listen, I conquered that before I, you know, graduated high school. No. <laughs> You may even be like, listen, pastors don't compete. Pastors don't compare themselves with 
other pastors. And you'd be right, I have never done that. <laughs> Liar. <laughs> I'll tell you, man, I've done it, I do it, probably do it in the future, but it's not who I was created to be. I'll tell you, man, there are moments, there are seasons. I remember even when we first, first started the church, first started Hillside, awesome launch. But I was sucked into competitive. I couldn't even enjoy the miracles that were happening to my left and right. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say it. I mean, I was so anxious. I was so fearful. I couldn't even see. Ke Ke Kelly's like elbowing me. Can you see? Look at what God is doing. Look at this person's life. Oh, man, look at this miracle upon miracle upon miracle. It's like I, I should have written the song Million Little Miracles by Elevation Worship. I mean, I should be singing it, but I was like, oh. Kelly's like, look at that. Oh, God, no. Look at it. Oh, my gosh. Like, wins. And I don't say wins in a competitive stride. I just say, look, God, look at what God was doing. Look at what God was doing. Look at what God was doing. You know, it's crazy because... Because of comparison, I couldn't receive. I couldn't receive. It was cutting off my connection with the Lord. It was cutting off valuing the distinct calling, the distinct purposes, the di distinct plan that God had in and through, not only my life, Hillside. And that's just an example. I could tell you, I talk with pastors. And I've, I've met ministers who, here's what's crazy, they've, they've actually started a church and shut it down because in their mind it wasn't successful enough. It's ridiculous to think of. You know, that's me talking about pastors, but do you know anybody in their career where it doesn't happen like it did for their parents or for somebody else in their sphere? So after a couple years, they're like, well, I must be a failure. What have they done? They've lost sight who they are, many times they lose sight of God opening the very door they're sitting in. And they're like, man, I didn't get the promotion. I must be a loser. Isn't it amazing how when something doesn't happen, how fast we go to like exaggeration? Like, maybe it's just me. Y'all are way better than me. It's like, it's like, oh man, this door's not open. This is, this is terrible. This is terrible. I must be the worst of the worst. No, that, can I tell you? That's your inner critic. That's the enemy of your soul. But can I be real with you? It's a battle those around us are facing. Comparison is the battleground. It's a battleground in our mind. That here's what scripture says. It says, listen, when those moments happen, when those circumstances happen, take the thought captive. Don't let it linger. Quickly dive in and say, get behind me, Satan. I mean, you have permission to say that. I just gave it to you. If you didn't know, you have it all throughout the Bible as well. Because we've got to be alert. I mean, could you just imagine, just imagine with me that in, I don't know, 2005, 2006, Harvard dropout created a website called FaceMash. I don't know, just imagine with me. And that small website would develop into a better branded company called Facebook. And just, I mean, just propose. I mean, this sounds preposterous, but 
suppose that it ended up becoming millions and billions of people who started engaging in this, you know, little trivial thing at first called social media. And, I mean, just imagine that from time to time, pe people actually posted pictures of themselves. I mean, that, for the first time in humanity, that would be pretty radical, wouldn't it? And then these pictures of themselves would be seen by others. It's called a highlight reel. And imagine that people would see other people's highlight reel, and they're like, that's not my life. I must be some kind of stupid. <laughs> like, honey, when was the last time we went to Bermuda? We ain't ever been to Bermuda. <laughs> I don't even know where Bermuda is. I, th I think we ought to go to Bermuda so we can be, you know. I mean, what, man, what are we eating? Look at, what, look at what they posted. That's incredible. Girl, I like that outfit. Not me. That's my wife talking, okay? I'm, I'm not... <laughs> Y'all get worried about my wardrobe. No, no, I'm just fine. But... Could you imagine? Because you know, we do it. We can't celebrate the goodness of God sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes in our lives. Because we're competing with others. I mean, if 20-year-old you could have told you the prayers that would be answered in the next 20 years, back when you were 20, you'd be like, yeah, I'd take that. I'd take that. So often we don't think that way. Because we compare, we contrast. Contentment in Christ looks like this story from the gospel. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Give you a quick context for the verse just before it comes up. Jesus has not preached one message. To date, I don't know if he's given one word of advice. He certainly hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't cast out any demons at this point in time. I think at that point, there's probably two or three disciples. No crowd is gathering around. He hasn't done anything. And hear the voice of the Heavenly Father. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Competitive Paul says, What? He hasn't done anything. He hasn't made anything happen. He hasn't done a miracle. There's no signs and wonders. There's no Sermon on the Mount yet. And you're proud of him? You're well pleased in him? I don't even have to ask God because the records are there for all to see. Now, American life doesn't work that way. It says, prove yourself. Make it happen. You've got to win. You know, we all know the catchphrase. Number two is the first loser, okay? We're competitive. God says, in case you have never heard, God says, when I look at you, 
I know you have brothers and sisters, but I'm all about you. And I'm all about who I created you to be. I'm an earthly father, and I don't see things nearly as well as God does. But Kelly and I talk often about how unique our two daughters are. And what incredible personalities they have. And how they're different, and yet so astoundingly incredible. I don't compare them with one another. One of them has certain strengths. Another has maybe certain weaknesses. Vice versa. But I don't look at him and I think, well, I'm going to love you today and not you. Hey, I'm going to answer your prayer request, but not you. You think God operates that way? No, he sees you for you. He knows how he's wired you, who he's wired you to be. He knew the family you would come from. And one of the subtle tricks of the enemy is to get us in to the battleground of comparison. I remember it. And I remember young, young adult years in my singleness being like, oh God, why am I single? And I'm looking to the right and to the left. He's like, you should know. No, I'm kidding. But it must, it, <laughs> my fashion, I, I received that. But in my singleness, I'm like, I'm so discontent, God, what's the problem? That's how it often happens. They just feel, man, I should be, I, 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 things should have happened by now. Things should have happened by now. And we get, what do we get? We get in competing. Because what? Guess what? You can get on social media now and you can see everybody else with their happy thoughts. Sometimes coming out of college, I remember coming out of college, I didn't step right into a career. I remember that holding pattern be like, man, you begin to kick yourself. Like, did I, did I really hear from God? Should I have really done that? Sometimes in the waiting season, it can be the worst. Because we compare with our left and we compare with our right. But I want to encourage you, man. Seek the kingdom. Seek, keep your kingdom-mindedness. No matter who you are, no matter what season of life you are in, it's so easy, it's so easy for the enemy of our soul to get us looking to the right and get us looking to the left. And my bold play, my bold play for you today is move from comparison to contentment in Christ. Move from comparison to contentment in Christ. Here's what I do. I limit comparison traps. I know I've had some fun poking at social media, but I'll be honest. I limit my social media intake. Some of you, you can have as much as you want because this isn't a big deal. But I've not only found the obvious, obvious ways, it's sometimes the subtle voices when I'm on social media. Maybe you just pause it. Maybe instead of three hours a day, you do 30 minutes. Yes, some people spend three hours a day. Not at Hillside, at other churches, okay. Maybe you just take a few days where you look at social media. Maybe it's not social media. Maybe there's a circle of friends that every time you get together, man, you leave feeling way less than. You have permission to slowly silence that group of friends. Don't tell them, hey, my pastor said, I'm going to silence y'all. That's why we can't hang. No. 
take that <laughs> the right way. You have permission to guard and, and lead your soul well. It's something important. So I, what I do is I limit comparison I limit comparison traps. What I'm looking at, what I'm listening to, I kind of over the, over the years have learned where, where, and what can fuel some of that side. And I begin to unwind it and, and, and silence some of that in my lives. The other is, now this is life-changing. This will change your life even if you get nothing out of the message. Second, celebrate your competitors. Celebrate your coworkers. Man, get them a gift and say, I'm so glad you got the pr promotion, and I didn't. I mean, even if you got to do it like this. I'm so glad you got the promotion. And you run away crying, right? Begin, begin that. Begin, man, celebrating others, encouraging others. Come on, showing gratitude, letting them know, man. I'm so glad you're winning. I'm so glad that's happening. I'm so glad. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. That's incredible. Like, love, like, love. Boom, 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 boom. Let them know. Celebrating others. It's incredible. Celebrating a spouse. If you're ever competitive with your spouse, celebrating them. Letting them know you see them. Celebrating your kids. Letting them know, man, you've got value. You add. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. People cannot hear that enough. I, I read something incredible. Dr. Kurt Thompson. He said something incredible about brain. This is a little brain science for you. Humans have a window of 90 seconds that it takes for encouragement to make its way fully into our mind. Humans have a window of three seconds for negative, discouraging words to settle in our mind. That's not Bible talk. That's neuroscience. Isn't that incredible? 90 seconds. About a minute to 90 seconds it takes for people to receive an encouragement, process it, and let it settle in the mind. It's a good thing in the latest studies, Americans have an attention span of seven seconds. Maybe I should save some of these for next week. All right, but think of that. Three seconds, three, on average, three seconds for a negative. And the enemy, he knows it, and he gets us going. Isn't it remarkable that you can have a great experience have a hundred people high five, share something exciting and good in your life. But one bad comment, what happens? It's all, it consumes your thoughts. It's the same for us. And here's what we have to do. We have to, I mean, our back's against the wall. We have to pray. We have to read scripture. And sometimes we just got to sit in God's presence and let the truth, play that truth of God over and over and over again. Sometimes, man, when life is storming, the best phrase I have is, Abba, I belong to you. Thank you for loving me for who I am. Sometimes that is just on replay, replay, replay. It's so important. And that was the third thought. You're welcome. Encourage yourself in the Lord. These are real deals. These are real times we're living in. 
the people next to you, maybe not the people here physically, but the people next to you in life, your classmates in school, in college, your neighbors, they probably had some discouragement and difficult thoughts. Can I tell you? We come along with the gospel of Jesus Christ and lets them know God loves them. There's a place that they can go to receive his healing, his hope. And one of the things I think the enemy uses more than anything else in our nation in these days is discouragement. And I want to just announce to you, if you're here and by chance you didn't know, God loves you for who you are. And you're not created just to struggle, barely make it by the skin of your teeth day to day through life. But you're meant to receive his hope and his peace. Now all of us have sinned and all of us, the scriptures say, fall short of the glory of God. Like all of us have been like Cain. Probably too many times. But here's the good news about the gospel. God comes close to us. And he gives us an invitation. He says, you can, you can live in a comparison trap. You can live with the inner critic I talked about last week. You can live just letting your thoughts go every which way. Or you could take your thoughts captive. You could take your life and make it obedient to Christ. And as Jesus says, take up your cross and follow him. And it leads to an abundant life that we have. His peace, his hope. His affection, His mercy, and His future for our lives. And it's simple. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if that's you, I want you to pray it. God, I'm here. I need you. And I think all of us could be <laughs> helped with the prayer. God, help us not to compete and not to contrast. Amen? Come on,